Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain Open Source Design. SOS. <laughs> what are you calling <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Sustain Open Source Design Podcast, a podcast where we discuss the intersections between design, open source, and what it takes to sustain communities that interact with both. My name is Django Skarupa, and my guest today is Mo of the Bitcoin UX Research Hub. She's calling in from the Netherlands. Hi, Mo. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. Thank you so much for coming on, Mo. Now, Mo, you're a UX researcher working in open source Bitcoin products and applications. Now, I don't necessarily, when I think about open source, my mind doesn't necessarily spring to crypto immediately. Would you mind telling me a little bit about what you do? To start off, I feel incredibly grateful for what I do because I, just like you know, the background, I really started volunteering in this field because I just had a passion for crypto, Bitcoin in particular. I'm a spiral grantee and I work as a UX research evangelist within the Bitcoin design community. Now, our community, it's an open source community and it's, at the moment we exist in Slack, we're going to be moving over to Discord. You know, the ethos of the community is to sustain and encourage and help with usability and UX for all Bitcoin and Lightning products, applications, everything across the board. So we're hyper-focused and yeah, we're here to make an impact, but more so to make an impact on the entire ecosystem of these applications. So yeah, I get to be the UX research evangelist and wave the flag, the research flag in the community. And what does that look like? What does it look like to be advocating user research in a field that I imagine is remarkably diverse for the applications of Bitcoin cryptography. Oh my goodness. I started off in this space. I'll tell you a little bit of a story. I had this idea almost two years ago. I said, I'm going to be a UX designer and I'm going to work in Bitcoin. I want to help redesign, you know, Bitcoin applications and financial applications. I called them financial applications at the time. And I remember having that as my goal. That was what I wanted to work on. And now, almost a year later, I've really had the pleasure to work on things all the way across the spectrum. I've gotten to work with Lightning wallets. I've gotten to work on websites, Bitcoin website development, specifically Bitcoin node management platforms, which is another very specific area within the Bitcoin and Lightning space. So I've really gotten to work on really diverse projects across the board. And it's really exposed me to a lot of stuff and a lot of different methods and ways of doing things. Absolutely. So take me through a little bit of that. So you've started about two years ago in this Yeah, I started vol- volunteering. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Interesting. So now you've worked on multiple different projects. Let's talk about Lightning Wallet for a minute. What did that look like before you came on board? And then what does it look like now? Well, part of my grant within the community was to focus on the UX of Lightning Wallets. So I basically chose two Lightning wallets that were very comparable with each other. And I kicked off with doing some competitive research on these wallets. I started understanding the user flows. I started understanding the different screens. So really kicked off with comparing apples with apples. So I started off comparing Grease wallet with Phoenix wallet. 
And that was really getting my feet wet, really understanding how these interfaces work, what are the traditional user flows, that kind of thing. What I really wanted to do was I want to humanize the user flow of these wallets. And these applications at the moment, there's a lot of terminology within these applications that a normal user or everyday person walking on the street would traditionally understand. And part of humanizing it is actually identifying those parts of the application that's difficult for a person, everyday person on the street to understand and really making it easy for them to understand humanizing it. So that's pretty much how I started doing that. I still remember I created a GitHub repository and I wanted to essentially triangulate the data that I was doing, the research that I was doing. So I started off with competitive research. And then within the Bitcoin design community, what we do quite often is we kick off these projects or these sprints. And one of the projects that we kicked off was a, a redesign of a lightning wallet. So then I moved from working pretty solo, doing my own research, understanding usability, doing a sort of heuristic analysis of the interface itself. And then I moved on to a team project where we actually started this sprint, this design sprint, and we started to redesign and lightning wallet together. And that also taught me a lot. I learned how to sprint and I learned how to ask the right questions and really bring insights together into the design process. And we as a team in the community, a whole bunch of us, it was super fun. You know, we, we have so much in fun within the community. I mean, when we have these friends, we all just jump into fig jam. We're jamming together, we're playing a little bit of music, we're ideating together, trying to solve the problems together and we're doing it in the open, which is what I really like about working in open source. And so, yeah, we basically redesigned this. We connected the research, we redesigned this lightning wallet, and that was a very enjoyable project. That was Blixed Wallets. That's so interesting. I'm pulling up the Bitcoin design site as you were talking. I... Personally, I'm rather obsessed with like open source design systems as a concept, you know, where you can take design best practices that exist independently of a distinct project and then import them into your own work and apply them to whatever you're doing in order to develop coherency across a broader open source community. And so this seems like this is going right along that line. When you started contributing to this community and working within this community, what was the ethos and the sensibilities that you took in when you were starting this work? I think I started, what particularly attracted me to the Bitcoin space was the ethos of financial freedom and of everything being out in the open. It's a personal ethos of mine. So that's why this particular area attracted me the most. My personal ethos matched with the ethos of the industry itself. And so when I first jumped in, that was a really good connection getting to work on that product, that specific product that followed this ethos. I really started jumping in, you know, I mean, I would say the words got my feet wet, but started jumping in on these community calls. You know, we have these community calls within the Bitcoin design community. They're totally open to everyone. Bitcoin like and projects, they're welcome to jump into the community. They're welcome to ask for advice about their products, about the projects that they're working on. And I started jumping on Bitcoin core calls. And as you know, Bitcoin Core, that's the original one. And I remember just jumping on my first call and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, these people are speaking another language. I didn't understand anything that I was saying, but I kept up with it and I kept pushing on and understanding and really taking time to understand 
the project itself. I'm still working on Bitcoin Core and uh, we're about to kick off some UX research on Bitcoin Core as we're launching version one or milestone one, as they'd like to uh, refer to it. So that was pretty much how I started. I started by jumping in projects and really trying to understand what was going on in the ecosystem. And part of what I do now is very much connected to really having my ear on the ground and really understanding what's going on in the ecosystem of Bitcoin and Lightning products and understanding what they're struggling with. So we have various projects in our community, such as VDC Pay, Stratton, Security, Bitcoin Core, we have various Lightning projects that jump into the Slack channel. And we pretty much offer them the space, a very open space to talk about their projects, ask for ideas, ask for help so that everyone can learn. So it's this open, you know, I like to almost refer to it as this beehive. People come in and then they get a little bit of honey and then they go out. And it's the same with the Bitcoin Design Guide because the Bitcoin Design Guide acts as the source of information and education for designers, builders. And now I'm sure that there's someone listening right now who says, well, yeah, I'm also trying to get into Bitcoin and understand how to contribute to you know Bitcoin Core and how to contribute to all of these things. And I don't understand the language. How do I learn more? And for that person, how do they learn more? Like, where can they go to learn more a little bit about how to speak in this field and how to listen in this field? That's such a beautiful question because I'd really love to invite more builders to join us in this industry. We need more of you. And, you know, as I mentioned, I came from a traditional fiat job moving into this industry. And I can honestly say that if you have the passion and drive, you can really understand anything. My personal journey was literally just, as I said, I would say peer-to-peer learning because I jumped on these calls and I volunteered and I asked questions. If you have an hour in a day and jump in, step number one would be, you know, join our Slack or Discord community, jump in, sign up for the Bitcoin design calendar because there you'll get a whole bunch of the upcoming calls and jump in on those calls and start asking questions. Be curious and stay curious. You know, after time, you'll hear the same words and concepts and eventually they almost solidify themselves in your brain. And then you just get them because you've heard them enough times. And that's been my journey, just pushing on and then keep on asking questions. Stay curious. Learn through immersion. At a certain point, whenever you're trying to learn and whenever you're trying to explore a new community, you just can't rely on guides and you actually have to start listening to people and speaking and messing up. And saying, oh, no. And get your feet wet, like grab a Bitcoin or Lightning wallet interface, take screenshots of it on your phone, upload those to Figma and start redesigning. Literally just start doing stuff and then be practical, be hands-on. That's been the way that I've been learning, really just being hands-on, really trying to create the feeling of an open door to a lot of the projects. So within the community, I'm very much about educating, about being an advocate for UX research. If I'm working with a particular project, then I share what that project's doing with the rest of the community for two reasons. It's to encourage other people to also incorporate UX research into their projects, but it's also to show other projects, hey, this is what they're doing. Maybe it's something for you. Maybe you can learn from them. My work ethic is extremely open. So I actually have a Notion board which is my online home. 
And everything is open. Every single document that I work on, every single Schema file, absolutely everything. If anyone wants to ask me a question, I can just pretty much send them a link and then they can pretty much look through the project. And I also try to blog, blog every week as well. So I've tried to blog once a week and give a little bit of a rundown or update of what I'm doing, what I'm working on, what I've been learning. So I really do embrace this ethos of working in public. I absolutely love it. That brings me to a very interesting question because you're not the first person that I've spoken to that advocates that. And I fully wholeheartedly agree. I have had some concerns about that in my past, and I'm interested to hear another side of this. Have you found that it can be intimidating to remove the human element, the communication element from responses? For example, one person that I spoke to a while ago advocated writing everything that you would put into a specific question email into a blog post because you could spend that time replying to one email or you could post it publicly and then just drop a link in an email to a person who asks that again. Yeah. What concerns me is the idea of almost vacant form letter responses. When someone is new and trying to understand and failing to grasp it, how often do you think someone might be turned away? Not to say that working in the open is a bad idea, because as someone who does work in the open, it's extremely important. But when we want to talk about fostering new growth, sustaining open source, what is the role of the public design mentor? I've never really thought about that. What is the role of a public design mentor? I'm thinking back to some online communities that I was a part of as an entrepreneur before I started in the space. and. I remember trying to learn a particular type of software. And remember what really helped me was seeing other people trying to solve the same problem that I was trying to solve. So going onto this forum and reading their, the challenge that they faced and reading their response and how they were trying to solve that challenge. And then also reading the other people's replies, you know, everyone trying to jump in and help them solve that problem. And I work in open in two ways. One way that I work in open is posting my work very openly in the Slack community. And the second way is posting this online, this blog once a week. What I hope to achieve and my vision with sharing my work so openly is a lot of what I write about in very, very human language. I really try to put myself in the shoes of the person who's reading and try to explain everything that I'm working on in a very easy to understand way, in a very human way. I'll give you a practical example. At the moment, I'm working on a project called Wallet Scrutiny, and we're in uh, redesigning the homepage at the moment. So in my blog post last week on Friday, which I shared, I spoke about the redesign process and how I was thinking about the redesign process. And a lot of what I was thinking about had to do with how do we... Wallet Scrutiny is basically, it's a website that reviews Bitcoin and Lightning wallets for security. And that puts it in simple terms, but they basically check to see if a wallet is reproducible. And if a wallet is reproducible, then they will basically put that up on their website and put the entire review process live. People can visit the website, they can visit the reviews. So at the moment we are redesigning the homepage and I'm very practical in how I do things. So I'll grab my iPad and I will start to ideate. I started to do some sketches. For this particular project, we conducted some usability tests so that we could connect with users and we could understand the current pain points that the users were experiencing on the homepage of the website. 
So when I wrote my blog post, in my mind, I was thinking about two things. How do I redesign the homepage, bringing in my knowledge of the usability tests that I conducted because I had a good idea of the feedback that the users brought back to the homepage. And the second thought that I was thinking about was I was thinking about trust, which is a human, psychological human instinct that we all have. And I was thinking, how can we start to instill trust and use design to create a feeling of trust in users when they land on the whole page? And basically, this is in this language, as I'm describing to you right now, is how I wrote my blog post. How do we use design to instill trust? And that's pretty much how I write. Coming back to your question about what is the role of designing in the open and being open with your work is... I think that we make our work very inviting to people when we show them that you can really think about things from different perspectives and different angles. So yeah, I hope that by me putting my work out there and by speaking about it in a very human, easy to understand way that people really, you know, not only invite them into the space, like come on in, the doors are open for you. Join the Bitcoin Lightning space, be a UX designer or UX researcher. And also showing them that there's so many different roads to the same solution. You know, you can think about things from many different angles and come up with different solutions. So uh, yeah, I think that's part of our role. I'm curious what you think about this topic because it's a really good question that you asked. First of all, thank you. That's really phenomenal. And I think that to hear you tell it inspires a specific methodology behind public mentorship, for lack of a better term, perhaps we'll just apply it there. And a long time ago in a past life, I took multiple English classes and writing courses. And one of the things that one of the instructors specified very heavily was this idea of if you want to touch a large group of people, don't write for a large group of people, write for one. Don't write in a way that appeals to the masses. Don't write in a way that appeals to everyone. Write in a way that is so specific and particular that everyone can read into it. And Having seen, because I'm no expert on this matter, that's why I'm interviewing you and not the other way around, but having seen the successful public mentorship ideas and then also some other attempts that have been made, and I will pass no judgment, it would appear that those who are the most successful in this one person's humble opinion are the ones that are writing as themselves and they are truly being transparent as to not only the things that they're thinking about, but the things that they're messing up and the things that they're doing and the troubles that they've had, because everyone has different problems. That's what is so wonderful about any of the myriad of support forums that exist is that everyone can post on those support forums and have their own particular issues. And so that's my thoughts on the matter. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because I definitely spoke about pivoting during the conference in Brussels where I met Errol, the other lady who also is here on the podcast. But at the moment, I'm building a Bitcoin UX research toolkit, which will essentially open to be used by the entire ecosystem. And building this toolkit has really taught me a lot about working out in the open and working in public. I started out working pretty solo on the UX research toolkit. I started building it in solo. And then I really started to be more open with my work and really put my work out there and tell people like, hey, could you please give me some guidance? Am I going in the right direction? Really approach everything, the viewpoint of I'm here, I'm open to learn. I'm open to learn from you. 
And so I started putting that work out there and people started to jump on the calls and contribute and provide feedback on my work. And I can honestly say that I've grown so much professionally by not only being open to the input of others, but by really being exposed to very different viewpoints on a particular topic. And we conducted some, this was quite fun because we conducted UX research on the UX research toolkit to see if it was being, if it was serving the needs of the users. And we pivoted. We realized, hey, we can actually build this better. And I wrote about that in one of her blog posts. I said, we did UX research on the toolkit. We got a whole bunch of user feedback and this is what they have to say. And so we need to pivot. We need to change how we're building it. And so we pivoted. And yeah, I wrote pretty publicly about that. And it's okay to pivot. I always say, if you pivot and it's for the better user experience, then do it. That brings me to one last very important question. And it's about your philosophy. I think we've spoken a lot on that this whole time. But you talked in our pre-show notes here about building products that empower users that, you know, specifically make them feel better when they use it. Tell me about that, because so many brands talk about empowering the user. And sometimes I don't necessarily need to feel empowered when I spend a lot of money. In fact, I probably should feel less empowered when I'm spending a lot of money on eBay or Amazon. But when we talk about empowerment in the idea of fiscal independence, how can we do that through design? How do we make people feel better when they're using a lightning wallet, when they're using Bitcoin products? I'll put it in simple terms. You know, my ethos on that is I want the person who's using the application to feel it's more of a feeling of, listen, I know what's going to happen if I click on this button. I know what the text means on this button. I know that if I click send, that's my Bitcoin or Lightning transaction is going to go through. When a user is on a Bitcoin and Lightning application, they're in such a sensitive position because they're trusting their assets, which comes. And that application that they're clicking away on is moving their assets from one place to another. So... Giving them that feeling like, I know what I'm doing. I know what's going to happen. Making things feel predictable, making things feel understandable. That's pretty much for me what empowering users mean. That they're not needing to click the help button. Hey, like I have no idea what this button means. I'm too nervous to click it. If we create more applications where users don't necessarily need to feel like they need to understand the interface, but where they feel like the interface actually understands them, we'll get more people using Bitcoin and Lightning applications. So empowerment for you is an inspired sense of educated confidence and intuition in any design for the beginning user. Brian, yeah, that's perfect. It's just when they land there, they just, they really need to feel like I know what I'm doing and I know where to check and I know where I'm going. A clear path to whatever they need to do. Yeah, that's pretty much it in simple terms. Yeah. Easy. Keep it simple. Well, now is the time, I think, where we move into Spotlight, a point where we sit there and we shine some light on projects that we believe need love, things that we might work on, things that we might just use every day. Mo, why don't you take it first? Oh, I've definitely got a really good one. It's a little bit biased, but hey, I can be biased, right? 
So the spotlight I'd like to put the spotlight on is the Bitcoin design community. It's the community where I spend most of my time and it's community where I would refer to as this beehive or this hub of lightning and Bitcoin projects who are all working out in the open. And Bitcoin design community, you should go to Bitcoin design, Bitcoin.design. The community is two and a half years old. And the mission is to design Bitcoin for everyone and to improve the global usage of Bitcoin. And we believe that's possible if everyone works together in this ecosystem and all build together. So it's pretty much this online space. It's a Slack community, as I said, we're moving out to Discord. And it's this online hub where with a few ex-designers, product managers, basically builders who are all building similar products. And because it's so niche and so specific, all these different projects can really learn from each other and build together, building public. So yeah, feel free to hop into our community, introduce yourself. We're a very friendly war bunch. And if we can help you in any way with your Bitcoin and Lightning project, we're all there for you. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. Well, that is Bitcoin.design. And if you want to see the projects that they're working on, that is Bitcoin.design slash projects. And all of those links will be, as always, available in the show notes. As for my spotlight for the week, I don't think I've ever discussed this on the podcast before, but I am a film photographer. A lot of the art that I do in my free time involves using an extremely outdated technology and cameras that were manufactured before my father was born. And for all of that, you have to be effectively a junior chemist in your bathroom. And performing all of that research is extremely difficult. Thankfully, people have been doing it for as long as the internet has been around. And the massive dev chart, which is available at digitaltruth.com slash dev chart, is an insane resource. They have development times for Films stretching as far back as the 1930s and 1940s, should you find any of them laying around in your grandparents' attic. But they also have, you know, community-submittable resources for mixing your own developers, mixing your own fixers, all of the different chemistries which were written down in books that went out of print in the 1970s. So it is just this incredible resource that's sponsored and maintained by, I think, eight or nine different large educational and supply communities. Yeah. Digitaltruth.com slash dev chart. It's the massive dev chart. And it is the only reason that I've been able to get this far in my art. That's a pretty interesting stuff. Really good resource. It is. It's a wonderful resource. Well, thank you so much, Mo, for being on. This has been the Sustain Open Source Design Podcast. Mo, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is my name and my surname. So that's Mogashi Naidu. That is M-O-G-A-S-H-N-I Naidu, N-A-I-D-O-O. Great. Thank you so much, Mo. And you're also available on LinkedIn. And I do have a website here for you as well. Well, thank you very much, Mo. And just a reminder for all our listeners, if you have any questions about the podcast, maybe you'd like to be on it. Maybe you'd like to get in touch with the people who we interview. If they leave their contact information, you can email us at podcast at sustainoss.org if you have any feedback. You can also rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Twitter at sustainoss. That is sustainoss. You can also join our discourse at discourse.sustainoss.org. And you can find more episodes, as always, and the show notes for this podcast at sosdpodcast.com.
www.sustainoss.org. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.